CD8. Polly was glad there was no mirror. The best that could be said for the squad's new clothing was that it covered them up. But this was a war. You seldom saw new clothes on anybody. Yet they felt awkward, and there was no sense in that at all. But they looked at one another in the chilly light of dawn and giggled in embarrassment. Wow, Polly thought, look at us, dressed as women. Oddly enough, it was Igorina who really looked the part. She'd disappeared into the other tumble-down room carrying her pack. For ten minutes the squad had heard the occasional grunt or ouch, and then she'd returned with a full head of hair, shoulder-length hair. Her face was the right shape, missing the lumps and bumps they'd come to know, and the stitches on her forehead shrank and disappeared as Polly watched in astonishment. "'Doesn't that hurt?' she said. "'It smarts a bit for a few minutes,' said Igorina. "'You just have to have the knack, and a special ointment, of course.' "'But why is that a curved scar on your cheek now?' said Tonka. "'And those stitches are staying.' Igorina looked down demurely. She'd even restyled one of the dresses into a dirndl, and looked like a fresh young maid from the beer cellar. Just to look at her was to mentally order a large pretzel. "'You've got to have something to show,' she said. "'Otherwise you're letting down the clan. "'And actually I think the stitches are rather fetching.' "'Well, okay,' Tonka conceded. "'But lisp a bit, will you? "'I know this is completely wrong, but now you look, oh, I don't know, weird, I suppose.' "'Okay, line up,' said Jackram. "'He stood back and gave them a look of theatrical disdain. "'Well, I've never seen such a lot of scrub-washer-women uh, in all my life,' he said.' "'I wish you all the luck you're bleeding well going to need. "'There'll be someone watching the door for you to come out, "'and that's all I can promise. "'Private Perks, you're acting unpaid corporal on this one. "'I hope you picked up one or two little lessons on our stroll. "'In and out, that's what you should do. "'No famous last stands, please. "'When in doubt, kick him in the nadgers and scarper. "'Mind you, if you frighten them like you frighten me, "'you should have no trouble.' "'Are you sure you won't join us, Sarge?' said Tonka, "'still trying not to laugh.' No, lad, you won't get me in skirts. Everyone has their place right. The place where they draw the line, well, that's mine. I'm pretty steeped in sin one way and another, but Jackram always shows his colours. I'm an old soldier. I'll fight like a soldier does, in the ranks, on the battlefield. Besides, if I went in there simpering in petticoats, I'd never hear the end of it. The Duchess says there is a different path for Sergeant Jackram, said Wazza. "'And I don't know if you don't frighten me worst of all, Private Goom,' said Jackram. He hitched up his equatorial belt. "'You're right, though. When you're inside I shall nip down nice and quiet and slip into our lines. If I can't raise a little diversionary attack, my name's not Sergeant Jackram. And, since it is Sergeant Jackram, that proves it. "'Ah, there's plenty of men in this man's army that owe me a favour. He gave a little sniff and added, "'Or wouldn't say no to my face.' and plenty of likely lads who'll want to tell their grandchildren they fought alongside Jackram too. Well, I'll give them their chance at real soldiering. Sarge, it'll be suicide to attack the main gates, said Polly. Jackram slapped his belly. See this lot, he said. It's like having your own armour. Bloke once stuck a blade in this up to the hilt and was surprised as hell when I nutted him. Anyway, you lads will be making so much fuss the guards will be distracted, right? You're relying on me, I'm relying on you. That's military, that is. You give me a signal, any signal. That's all I'll need. 
The Duchess says your path takes you further, said Wazza. Oh, yeah, said Jackram jovially. And where's that then? Somewhere with a good pub, I hope. The Duchess says um, it should lead to the town of Scritz, said Wazza. She said it quietly while the rest of the squad were laughing, not so much at Jackram's comment as a way of losing some of the tension. But Polly heard it. Jackram was really, really good, she thought. The fleeting expression of terror was gone in an instant. Scritz! Nothing there, said Jackram. Dull town. There was a sword, said Wazza. Jackram was ready this time. There was not a flicker of expression, just the blank face that he was so good at. And that was odd, Polly thought, because there should have been something, even if it was only puzzlement. Handled lots of swords in my time, he said dismissively. Yes, Private Halter. There's one thing you didn't tell us, Sarge, said Tonka, lowering her hand. Why is the regiment called the ins and outs? First into battle, last out of the fray, said Jackram automatically. So why are we nicknamed the cheesemongers? Yes, said Shifty. Why, Sarge? Because the way those girls were talking, it sounded like it's something we ought to know. Jackram made a clicking noise of exasperation. Oh, Tonka, why the hell did you wait till you got your trousers off before asking me that? I'll feel embarrassed telling you now. And Polly thought, that's dangling bait, right? You want to tell us. You want to get any conversation away from scripts. Ah, said Tonka, it's about sex then, is it? Not as such, no. Well, tell me then, said Tonka. I'd like to know before I die. If it makes you feel any better, I'll nudge people and go, <laughs> Jackram sighed. There's a song, he said. It starts, "'Twas on a Monday morning, all in the month of May." Then it is all about sex, said Polly flatly. It's a folk song. It starts with "'twas." It takes place in May. Q-E-D. It's about sex. Is a milkmaid involved? I bet she is. There could be, Jackram conceded. Going for to market, for to sell her wares, said Polly. Very likely. OK, that gives us the cheese. And she meets, let's see, a soldier, a sailor, a jolly ploughboy, or just possibly a man clothed all in leather, I expect. No, since it's about us, it's a soldier, right? And since it's one of the ins and outs, oh dear, I feel a humorous doublant tendre coming on. Just one question. What item of her clothing fell down or came untied? Her garter, said Jackram. You've heard it before, Perks. No, but I just know how folk songs go. We had folk singers in the lower bar for six months back where I worked. In the end, we had to get a man in with a ferret. But you remember stuff. Oh, no. Was there canoodling, Sarge? said Tonka, grinning. Kayaking, I expect, said Igorina to General Sniggering. No, he stole the cheese, didn't he? sighed Polly. As the poor girl was lying there, waiting for a garter to be tied, him, him, he damn well made off with her cheese, right? Eh, not damn, not with the skirt on Oz, Tonka warned. Then it's not Oz either, said Polly. Fill your hat with bread, fill your boots with soup, and steal the cheese, eh, Sarge? That's right. We've always been a very practical regiment, said Jackram. An army marches on its stomach, lads. On mine, of course, it could hold a parade. It was her own fault. She should have been able to tie up her own garters, said Lofty. Yeah, probably wanted her cheese stolen, said Tonka. Wise words, said Jackram. Off you go, then, cheesemongers.
The mist was still thick as they made their way down through the woods to the path by the river. Polly's skirt kept catching in brambles. It must have done so before she joined up, but she'd never noticed it so much. Now it was seriously hindering her. She reached up and absent-mindedly adjusted the socks, which she'd separated to use as padding elsewhere. She was too skinny, that was the trouble. The ringlets would have been useful there. They would have said, girl. In their absence, she had to rely on a scarf and a socks change. All right, she whispered as the ground levelled out. Remember, no swearing. Giggle, don't snigger. No belching. No weapons either. They can't be that stupid in there. Anyone bought a weapon? There was a shaking of heads. Did you bring a weapon, Tonk? Magda? No, Polly. No item of any sort with a certain weapon-like quality? Polly insisted. No, Polly, said Tonka demurely. Anything perhaps with an edge? Oh, you mean this? Yes, Magda. Well, a woman can carry a knife, can't she? It's a sabre, Magda. You're trying to hide it, but it's a sabre. But I'm only using it like a knife, Polly. It's three feet long, Magda. Size isn't important, Polly. No one believes that. Leave it behind a tree, please. That is an order. All right. After a while, Shufty, who had appeared to be thinking deeply, said, I can't understand why she didn't just tie up her own garter. Shufty, what the hell? Tonka began. Heck, Polly corrected her. And you're talking to Betty, remember? What the heck are you talking about, Betty? said Tonka, rolling her eyes. Well, the song, of course. And you don't have to lie down to tie garter in any case. It'd be more difficult, said Shufty. It's all a bit silly. No one said anything for a while. It was perhaps easy to see why Shufty was on her quest. You're right, said Polly eventually. It's a silly song. A very silly song, Tonka agreed. They all agreed. It was a silly song. They stepped out onto the river path. Ahead of them, a small group of women were hurrying around the bend in the cliff. Automatically, the squad looked up. The keep grew out of the sheer cliff. It was hard to see where the unhewn rock ended and the ancient masonry began. They could see no windows. From here, it was just a wall extending to the sky. No way in, it said. No way out. In this wall are few doors and they close with finality. This close to the deep, slow river, the air was bone-chilling cold and grew colder the higher they looked. Around the curve, they could see the little rock shelf where the back door was and the women ahead of them talking to a guard. This is not going to work, said Shufty under her breath. They're showing him some papers. Anyone brought theirs? No. The soldier had looked up and was watching the girls with that blank official expression of someone who was not looking for excitement or adventure in his life. Keep moving, murmured Polly. If it all gets really bad, burst into tears. That's disgusting, said Tonka. Their treacherous feet were taking them closer all the time. Polly kept her eyes downwards, as was proper in an unmarried woman. There would be others watching, she knew it. They'd probably be bored. They might not be expecting any trouble. But up on those walls, there were eyes fixed on her. They reached the guard. Just inside the narrow stone doorway, there was another one, lounging in the shadow. Papers, said the guard. Oh, sir, I have none, said Polly. She'd been working out the speech on the way down through the wood. War, fears of invasion, people fleeing, no food. You didn't have to make things up. 
You just had to reassemble reality. I had to leave. All right, the guard interrupted. No papers, no problem. If you just step in and see my colleague, nice of you to join us. He stood aside and waved a hand toward the dark entrance. Mystified, Polly stepped inside with the others following. Behind them, the door swung shut. Inside, she saw that they were in a long passage with many slits in the wall to rooms on either side. Lamplight shone from the slits. She could see shadows beyond them. Bowman could turn anyone trapped in here into mints. At the end of the corridor, another door swung open. It led into a small room in which there sat, at a desk, a young man in a uniform Polly didn't recognise, although it had a captain's insignia. Standing to one side was a much, much larger man in the same uniform, or possibly two uniforms stitched together. He had a sword. There was that about him. When this man held a sword, it was clearly held, and held by him. The eye was drawn to it. Even Jade would have been impressed. "'Good morning, ladies,' said the captain. "'No papers, eh? Take off your scarves, please.' "'And that's it,' thought Polly, as the bottom of her stomach dropped away, "'and we thought we were being clever. "'There was nothing for it but to obey. "'Ah, you'll tell me your hair got shaved off "'as a punishment for fraternising with the enemy, eh?' "'said the man, barely looking up. "'Except for you,' he added to Igorina. "'Didn't feel like fraternising with any enemies? "'Something wrong with decent Slovenian boys?' "'Uh, no,' said Igorina. "'Now the captain gave them a bright little smile. "'Gentlemen, let's not mess about, shall we?' You walk wrong, we do watch, you know. You walk wrong and you stand wrong. You, he pointed to Tonka, have got a bit of shaving soap under an ear. And you, lad, are either deformed or you've tried the old trick of sticking a pair of socks down your undershirt. Crimson with humiliation, Polly hung her head. Getting in or out disguised as washerwomen, said the captain, shaking his head. Everyone outside this stupid country knows that one, lads and most of them make more effort than you boys. Well, for you, the war is over. This place has got big, big dungeons, and I don't mind telling you, you're probably going to be better off in here than outside. Yeah, what do you want? Shufti had raised a hand. Can I show you something? she said. Polly didn't turn, but watched the captain's face as, beside Polly, cloth rustled. She couldn't believe it. Shufti was raising her skirt. Oh! said the captain. There was an explosion from Tonka, but it was an explosion of tears. They came out accompanied by a long, mournful wail as she threw herself onto the floor. We walked so far. We lay in ditches to hide from soldiers. There's no food. We want to work. You called us boys. Why are you so cruel? Polly knelt down and half picked her up, patting her on the back as Tonka's shoulders heaved with the force of her sobs. "'It's been very hard for all of us,' she said to the red-faced captain. "'Have you seen everything you wish to see?' "'If you can take him down, I can garrote the other one with my apron string,' whispered Tonka in her ear between howls. "'No, please,' said the captain, giving the guard the agonised glance of a man who knows that he's going to be the laughing stock of the whole fort inside the hour. "'Once was quite—I I mean, I've seen—look, I'm completely satisfied. Private, go and fetch one of the women from the laundry.' "'I am so sorry, ladies. I, I, I have a job to do.' "'Do you enjoy it?' said Polly, every syllable tinkling with ice. "'Yes,' said the captain hurriedly. "'I, I mean, no, no, yes. We have to be careful. Ah!' The soldier had returned, trailing a woman. 
Polly stared. "'Ah, Daphne, some new uh, volunteers for Mrs. Enid,' said the captain, waving vaguely toward the squad. "'I'm sure she will have some use for them. Um, "'Oh, certainly, Captain,' said the woman, curtsying demurely. Polly still stared. "'Off you go with Daphne, uh, ladies,' said the captain. "'And if you're hard workers, Mrs. Enid will, I am sure, give you a pass "'so as we don't have this trouble again.' Uh, Shufti put both hands on his desk, leaned towards him, and said, Boo! His chair hit the wall. I may not be clever, she said to Polly, but I'm not stupid. But Polly was still staring at Lieutenant Blouse. He'd curtsied surprisingly well. The soldier escorted them along a tunnel which opened onto a ledge overlooking what was either a cave or a room. It was at that level in the keep where there was not much difference. This wasn't a laundry. This was clearly some hot, damp afterlife for those who required punishment with extra scrubbing. Steam rolled across the ceiling, condensed and dripped onto a floor that was already running with water. And it went on forever, washtub after washtub. Women moved like ghosts through the drifting, tumbling clouds of fog. "'There you go, ladies,' he said, and slapped Blouse on the rump. "'See you tonight, then, Daphne.' "'Oh, yes,' trilled Blouse. Five o'clock, then,' said the soldier, and ambled off down the corridor. "'Daphne,' said Polly, when the man had gone. "'My uh, nom de guerre,' said Blouse. "'I still haven't found a way out of the lower areas, but the guards all have keys, and I shall have his key in my hand by half-past five. Pardon?' "'I think Tonker, sorry, Magda, just bit her tongue,' said Polly. "'Her? Oh, yes. Well done for staying in character, uh, Polly.' said Polly. Good choice of name, said Blouse, leading the way down some steps. It's a good, common, maid-servanty sort of name. Yes, that's what I thought, said Polly gravely. Ah, uh, Sergeant, Jackram not with you at all, said the lieutenant with a trace of nervousness. No, sir. He said he was going to lead a charge on the main gate, sir, if we could send him a signal. I hope he doesn't try without one. Good heavens, the man's mad, said Blouse. Splendid effort from the lads, though. Well done. You definitely pass for women to the casual observer. Coming from you, Daphne, that is a big compliment, said Polly, thinking, gosh, I'm really good at keeping a straight face. But you didn't need to come after me, said Blouse. I'm sorry I couldn't get a signal to you, but Mrs. Enid allowed me to stay overnight, you see. The guards don't do so many checks at night, so I made use of my time to look for ways into the upper keep. All gated or really heavily guarded, I'm afraid. However, Private Haupt Fiddle has taken a rather a shine to me. "'Well done, sir,' said Polly. "'Sorry, I want to be clear, sir,' said Tonka. "'You have a date with a guard?' "'Yes, and I'll suggest we go somewhere dark, "'and then, when I've got what I want, I shall break his neck,' said Blouse. "'Isn't that going a bit far on a first date?' said Tonka. "'Sir, did you have any trouble getting in?' said Polly. "'This had been nagging at her. "'No, not at all. "'I just smiled and wiggled my hips, and they waved me through.' "'Didn't they ask you for your papers?' said Polly, horrified. "'Well, they did, but I just said I was such a silly girl I kept on losing them. "'Then I burst into tears, which is very feminine, "'and then the captain lent me his handkerchief and said it was all right.' "'Blouse beamed. "'What about you?' "'Oh, we had a little bit of trouble,' said Polly. "'It was a bit hair... it was a bit awkward for a moment or two. "'She fumed inside. "'It seemed so unfair.' 
What did I tell you? said Blouse triumphantly. It's all down to thespian ability, but you are plucky lads to try it. Come and meet Mrs. Enid, a very loyal lady. The brave women folk of Boroughgravia are on our side. And indeed, there was a picture of the Duchess in the alcove that served the laundry mistress for an office. Mrs. Enid wasn't a particularly large woman, but she had forearms like jade, a soaking wet apron, and the most mobile mouth Polly had ever seen. Her lips and tongue drew out every word like a big shape in the air. The laundresses, in a cavern full of hissing steam, echoes, falling water, and the thud of wet clothes on stone, watched lips when ears were overwhelmed. When she was listening, her mouth moved all the time, too, like someone trying to dislodge a piece of nut from a tooth. She wore her sleeves rolled up above her elbows. She listened impassively as Blouse introduced the squad. "'I see,' she said. "'Right. You leave your lads here with me, sir. You ought to get back to the pressing room.' When Blouse had bounced and wobbled back through the steam, Mrs Enid looked them all up and down and then straight through. "'Lads!' she grunted. "'Ha! That's all he knows, eh? For a woman to wear the clothes of a man is an abomination unto Nuggan.' "'But we're dressed as women, Mrs Enid,' said Polly meekly. Mrs Enid's mouth moved ferociously. Then she folded her arms. It was like a barricade going up against all that was ungodly. "'It's not right,' she said. "'I've got a son and a husband prisoner in this place, and I'm working myself to the bone for the enemy just so's I can keep an eye on them. They're going to invade, you know. It's amazing what we hear down here. So what good's rescuing your men going to do em when we're all under the heel of the Slovenian hand-painted clog, eh?' "'Slovenia will not invade.' said Wazza confidently. The Duchess will see to it. Be not afraid. Wazza got the sort of look she always got when someone heard her for the first time. Been praying, have you? said Mrs Enid kindly. No, just listening, said Wazza. Nuggan dorks do you, does he? No, Nuggan is dead, Mrs Enid, said Wazza. Polly took Wazza's matchstick-thin arm and said, Excuse us a moment, Mrs Enid. She hustled the girl behind a huge, water-driven clothes mangle. It heaved and clanked as a background to their conversation. Wasser, this is getting... Polly's native tongue had no word for freaky, but if she had known about the word, she would have welcomed its inclusion. Strange. You're worrying people. You can't just go round saying that a god is dead. God, then. Dwindled, I think, said Wasser, her brow furrowing. No longer with us. We still get the abominations. Wazza tried to concentrate. No, they're not real. They're like echoes. Dead voices in an ancient cave bouncing back and forth. The words changing, making nonsense. Like flags that were used for signals but now just flap in the wind. Wazza's eyes went unfocused and her voice altered, became more adult, more certain. And they come from no god. There is no god here now. So where do they come from? From your fear. They come from the part that hates the other, that will not change. They come from the sum of all your pettiness and stupidity and dullness. You fear tomorrow, and you've made your fear your god. The Duchess knows this. The mangle creaked onwards. Around Polly the boilers hissed. Water gushed in the runnels. The air was loaded with the smells of soap and damp cloth. 
I don't believe in the Duchess either, said Polly. That was just trickery in the woods. Anyone had looked round. It doesn't mean I believe in her. That doesn't matter, Polly. She believes in you. Really? Polly glanced around the steaming, dripping cave. Is she here, then? Has she graced us with her presence? Wazza had no concept of sarcasm. She nodded. Yes. Yes. Polly looked behind her. Did you just say yes? she demanded. Yes, said Wazza. Yes. Polly relaxed. Oh, it's an echo. This is a cave after all. Uh, which doesn't explain why my voice doesn't come bouncing back. Was, I mean Alice, she said thoughtfully. Yes, Polly, said Wazza. I think it would be a really good idea if you don't talk too much about this to the others, she said. People don't mind believing in, you know, gods and so on, but they get very nervous if you tell them they're showing up. Er, uh, she's not going to show up, is she? The person you don't believe in, said Wazza, showing a flash of spirit. I'm not saying she doesn't exist, said Polly weakly. I just don't believe in her, that's all. She's very weak, said Wazza. I hear her crying in the night. Polly sought for further information in the pinched-up face, hoping that in some way Wazza was making fun of her. But nothing but puzzled innocence looked back. Why does she cry, she said. The prayers, they hurt her. Polly spun around when something touched her shoulder. It was Tonka. Mrs Enid says we're to get to work, she says. She says the guards come around and check. It was women's work and therefore monotonous, back-breaking and social. It has been a long time since Polly had got her hands in a wash tub and the ones here were long wooden troughs where twenty women could work at once. Arms on either side of her, squeezed and pummeled, wrung out garments and slapped them into the rinsing trough behind them. Polly joined in and listened to the buzz of conversation around her. It was gossip, but bits of information floated in it like bubbles in the wash tub. A couple of guards had taken liberties, that is, more than had already been taken, and had apparently been flogged for it. This caused much comment along the tub. Apparently, some big milord from Ankh-Morpork was in charge of things and had ordered it. He was some kind of wizard, said the woman opposite. They said he could see things happening everywhere and lived on raw meat. They said he had secret eyes. Of course, everyone knew that city was the home of abominations. Polly, industriously rubbing a shirt on a washboard, thought about this, and thought about a lowland buzzard in this upland country, and some creature so fast and stealthy that it was only a suggestion of shadow. She took a spell on the copper boilers, ramming the stewing garments under the bubbling surface, and noted that in this place, without weapons of any sort, she was using a heavy stick about three feet long. She enjoyed the work in a dumb kind of way. Her muscles did all the necessary thinking, leaving her brain free. No one knew for sure that the Duchess was dead. It more or less didn't matter. But Polly was sure of one thing. The Duchess had been a woman. Just a woman, not a goddess. Oh, people prayed to her in the hope that their pleas would be gift-wrapped and sent on to Nuggan, but that gave her no right to mess with the heads of people like Wazza, who had enough trouble as it was. Gods could do miracles. Duchesses posed for pictures. Out of the corner of her eye, Polly saw a line of women taking large baskets from a platform at the end of the room and stepping out through another doorway. 
she dragged Igorina away from the wash trough and told her to join them. And notice everything, she added. Yes, Corp, said Igorina. Because I know one thing, said Polly, waving at the piles of damp linen, and it's that this lot will need the breeze. She went back to work, occasionally joining in the chatter for the look of the thing. It wasn't hard. The washerwomen kept away from some subjects, particularly ones like husbands and sons, but Polly picked up clues here and there. Some were in the keep, some were probably dead, some were out there somewhere. Some of the old women wore the Motherhood Medal, awarded to women whose sons had died for Borogravia. The bastard metal was corroding in the damp atmosphere, and Polly wondered if the medals had arrived in a letter from the Duchess, with her signature printed on the bottom and the son's name squeezed up tight to fit the space. We honour and congratulate you, Mrs L. Lapchik of Well Lane Munns, on the death of your son, Otto Pyotrhan Lapchik, on June 25 at blank. The place was always censored in case it brought aid and comfort to the enemy. It astonished Polly to find that the cheap medals and thoughtless words did, in a way, bring aid and comfort to the mothers. Those in Munns who'd received them wore them with a sort of fierce, indignant pride. She wasn't sure she trusted Mrs Enid very much. She had a son and a husband up in the cells, and she'd had a chance to size up blouse. She'd be asking herself, what's more likely? He gets them all out and keeps them safe, or that there's going to be an almighty mess that might well harm us all? And Polly couldn't blame her if she went with the evidence. She was aware of someone talking to her. Hmm? she said. Look at this, will ye? said Shufty, waving a sodden pair of men's long pants at her. They keep putting the colours in with the whites. Well, so what? These are enemy long johns, said Polly. Yes, but there's such a thing as doing it properly. Look, they're putting this red pair and all the others are going pink. And I used to love pink when I was about seven. It is an established fact that despite everything society can do, girls of seven are magnetically attracted to the colour pink. But pale pink on a man? Polly looked at the next tub for a moment and patted Shufty on the shoulder. Yes, it is very pale, isn't it? You'd better find a couple more red items, she said. But that'll make it even worse, Shufty began. That was an order, soldier, Polly whispered in her ear, and add some starch. How much? All you can find. Igorina returned. Igorina had good eyes. Polly wondered if they've ever belonged to someone else. She gave Polly a wink and held up a thumb. It was, to Polly's relief, one of her own. In the huge ironing room, only one person was working at the long boards when Polly, taking advantage of the temporary absence of Mrs Enid, hurried in. It was Daphne. All the rest of the women were gathered around as if they were watching a demonstration, and they were. "'The collar, do you see?' said Lieutenant Blouse, flourishing the big steaming charcoal-filled iron. Then the cuffs and finally the sleeves. Do one front half at a time. You should hang them immediately, but, and here's a useful tip, don't iron them completely dry. It's really a matter of practice, but... Polly stared in fascinated wonder. She'd hated ironing. Daphne, could I have a word? she said during a pause. Blouse looked up. Oh, po yeah, Polly, he said. Um, yes, of course. It's amazing what Daphne knows about pleat lines, said a girl in awe, and press cloths. I am amazed, said Polly. Blouse handed the iron to the girl. There you go, Dimpfner, 
he said generously. Remember, always iron the wrong side first, and only ever do the wrong side on dark linens. Common mistake. Coming, Polly. Polly cooled her heels for a while outside, and one of the girls came up with a big pile of fresh-smelling ironed laundry. She saw Polly and leaned close as she went past. We all know he's a man, she said, but he's having such fun, and he irons like a demon. You won't tell the guards. What? said the girl, grinning. And do the ironing ourselves? Anyway, we're dying to find out what happens when Daphne goes on her date. Sir, how do you know about ironing? said Polly when they were back in the washing room. Had to do my own laundry back at HQ, said Blouse. Couldn't afford a girl, and the batman was a strict nugganite and said it was girls' work. So I thought, well, it can't be hard, otherwise we wouldn't leave it to women. They really aren't very good here. You know they put the colours and the whites together. Sir, you know you said you were going to steal a gate key off a guard and break his neck, said Polly. Indeed. Do you know how to break a man's neck, sir? I read a book on martial arts, Perks, said Blouse a little severely. But you haven't actually done it, sir? Well, no. I was at HQ, and you're not allowed to practice on real people, Perks. You see, the person whose neck you want to break will have a weapon at that moment, and you, sir, won't, said Polly. I have tried out the basic principle on a rolled-up blanket, said Blouse reproachfully. It seemed to work very well. Was the blanket struggling and making loud gurgling noises and kicking you in the socks, sir? The socks? said Blouse, puzzled. In fact, I think your other idea would be better, sir, said Polly hurriedly. Yes, my uh, other idea. Which, which one was that, exactly? The one where we escaped from the wash house via the clothes-drying area, sir, after silently disabling three guards, sir. There's a kind of moving room down the corridor, sir, which gets winched all the way to the roof. Two guards go up there with the women, sir, and there's another guard up on the roof. Acting together, we'd take out each unsuspecting guard, which would be more certain than you against an armed man with all due respect, sir, and that would leave us very well positioned to go anywhere in the keep via the rooftop, sir. Well done, sir. There was a pause. Did I, uh, go into all that detail? said Blouse. Oh, no, sir. You shouldn't have to, sir. Sergeants and corporals deal with the fine detail. Officers are there to see the big picture. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, how big was this particular picture? said Blouse, blinking. Oh, very big, sir. A very big picture indeed, sir. Ah, said Blouse, and straightened up and assumed what he considered to be the expression of one with panoramic vision. Some of the ladies here used to work in the upper keep, sir, when it was ours, Polly went on quickly. Anticipating your order, sir, I had the squad engage them in light conversation about the layout of the place, sir. Being aware of the general thrust of your strategy, sir, I think I have found a route to the dungeons. She paused. It had been good flannelling, she knew. It was almost worthy of Jackram. She'd larded it with as many sirs as she dared, and she was very proud of anticipating your order. She hadn't heard Jackram use it, but with a certain amount of care it was an excuse to do almost anything. General thrust was pretty good too. Dungeons, said Blouse thoughtfully, momentarily losing sight of the big picture. In fact, I thought I said, yes, sir, because, sir, if we can get a lot of the lads out of the dungeons, sir, you'll be in command inside the enemy's citadel, sir. 
blouse grew another inch, and then sagged again. Of course, there are some very senior officers here, all of them senior to me. Yes, sir, said Polly, well on the way to graduating from the Sergeant Jackram School of Outright Rupert Management. Perhaps we'd better try to let the enlisted men out first, sir. We don't want to expose the officers to enemy fire. It was shameless and stupid, but now the light of battle was in Blouse's eyes. Polly decided to fan it, just in case. Your leadership has really been a great example to us, sir, she said. Has it? Oh, yes, sir. No officer could have led a finer bunch of men, Perks, said Blouse. Probably they have, sir, said Polly. And what man could dare hope for such an opportunity, eh? said Blouse. Our names will go down in the history books. Well, mine will, obviously, and I shall jolly well see to it that you chaps get a mention, too. And who knows? Perhaps I may win the highest accolade that a gallant officer may obtain. What's that, sir? said Polly dutifully. Having either a foodstuff or an item of clothing named after one, said Blouse, his face radiant. General Frock got both, of course. The Frock coat and Beef Frock. Of course, I could never aspire that high. He looked down bashfully. But I have to say, Perks, that I have devised several recipes just in case. So we'll be eating a blouse one day, sir, said Polly. She was watching the baskets being stacked. Possibly, possibly, if I may dare hope, said Blouse. Er, uh, my favourite is a sort of a pastry ring, do you see, soaked in rum. That's a rum barber, sir, said Polly absently. Tonker and the others were watching the stacked baskets too. It's been done. Afraid so, sir. How about uh, a dish of liver and onions? It's called liver and onions, sir. Sorry, said Polly, trying not to lose concentration. Uh, 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 well, it has struck me that some dishes are named after people when really they just made a little change to a basic recipe. We must go now, sir. Now or never, sir. What? Oh, right. Yes, we must go. It was a military manoeuvre hitherto unrecorded. The squad, coming from different directions on Polly's signal, arrived at the baskets just ahead of the women who'd proposed to take them up, grabbed the handles and advanced. Only then did Polly realise that probably no one else wanted the job and were only too happy to let idiot newcomers take the strain. The baskets were big and the wet washing was heavy. Wazza and Igorina could barely lift one basket between them. A couple of soldiers were waiting by the door. They looked bored and paid little attention. It was a long walk to the elevator. Polly hadn't been able to picture it when it had been described. You had to see it. It really was just a big open box of heavy timbers attached to a thick rope which ran up and down in a sort of chimney in the rock. When they were aboard, one of the soldiers hauled on a much thinner rope that disappeared up into the darkness. The other one lit a couple of candles, whose only apparent role was to make the darkness more gloomy. "'No fainting now, girls,' he said. His mates chuckled. Two of them and seven of us,' Polly thought. The copper stick banged against her leg as she moved. All the girls carried one somewhere, and she knew for a fact that Tonka was limping because she had strapped a washing dolly under her dress. That was for serious washerwomen.' It was a long stick with what looked like a three-legged milking stool on the end of it, the better for agitating clothes in a big cauldron of boiling water. You could probably smash a skull with it. The stone walls dropped past as the platform rose. Oh, thrilling, trilled Daphne. 
and this goes all the way up to your big castle, does it? Oh, no, miss. Got to go up through the rock first, miss. Lots of old workings and everything before we get that high. Oh, I thought we were in the castle already. Blouse gave Polly a worried look. No, miss. There's just the wash house down here cause of the water. Ah, it's a climb and a half even to the lower cellars. Lucky for you there's this elevator, eh? Wonderful, Sergeant, said Blouse, and allowed Daphne back. How does it work? It's corporal, miss, said the string puller touching his forelock. It's pulled up and down by prisoners in a treadmill, miss. Oh, how horrid. Oh, no, miss, it's quite humane. Uh, if you're free after work, uh, I could take you up and show you the mechanism. That would be lovely, Sergeant. Polly put her hand over her eyes. Daphne was a disgrace to womanhood. The elevator rumbled upwards quite slowly. Mostly they passed raw rock, but sometimes there were ancient gratings or areas of masonry, suggestive of tunnels long ago blocked. There was a jerk, and the platform stopped moving. One of the soldiers swore under his breath, but the corporal said, "'Don't be afraid, ladies. This often happens.' "'Why should we be afraid?' said Polly. "'Well, because we are hanging by a rope a hundred feet up the shaft, and the lifting machinery's thrown a cog.' "'Again?' said the other soldier. "'Nothing works properly here.' "'Sounds like a good reason to me,' said Igorina. "'How long will it take to repair?' said Tonka. "'Ah, last time it happened we were stuck for an hour.' Too long, Polly thought. Too many things could happen. She looked up through the beams in the roof. The square of daylight was a long way up. "'We can't wait,' she said. "'Oh, dear, who will save us?' Blouse quavered. "'We'll have to find a way to pass the time, eh?' said one of the guards." Polly sighed. That was one of those phrases like, well, looky what we have here, that meant things were only going to get a lot worse. We know how it is, ladies, the guard went on. Your men folk away and all. It's as bad for us too. I can't remember when I last kissed my wife. And I can't remember when I last kissed his wife either, said the other guard. Tonka jumped up, caught a beam and chinned herself on the top of the box. The elevator shook, and somewhere a piece of rock dislodged and crashed down the shaft. "'Hey, you can't do that,' said the corporal. "'Where does it say?' said Tonka. "'Polly, there's one of those filled-in tunnels here. Only most of the stones have been knocked out. We could get in easily.' "'You can't get out. We'll get into trouble,' said the corporal. Polly pulled his sword out of his scabbard. The space was too crowded to do much with it except threaten, but she had it, not him.' It made a huge difference. You're already in trouble, she said. Please don't force me to make it worse. Let's get out of here. Is that okay, Daphne? Um, yes, of course, said Blouse. The other guard laid a hand on his own sword. Okay, girls, this has gone, he began and then slumped. Shufty lowered her copper stick. I hope I didn't hit him too hard, she said. Who cares? Come on, I can give you all a hand up, said Tonka. Igorina, could you have a look at him? And Shifty began nervously. He's a man and he's groaning, said Tonka from above. That's good enough for me. Come on. The lone guard watched as the others were woman-handled onto the beams. Er, uh, excuse me, he said to Polly as she helped Blouse up. Yes, what? Would you mind giving me a wallop on the back of the head, he said, looking wretched, so that it doesn't look like I didn't put up a fight against a bunch of women? Why don't you put up a fight? said Polly, narrowing her eyes. We're only a bunch of women. I'm not crazy, 
said the guard. Here, let me, said Igorina, producing her stick. Blows to the head are potentially harmful and should not be undertaken lightly. Turn around, sir. Remove your helmet, please. Would twenty minutes unconsciousness be okay? Yes, thanks very much. The guard folded up. I really hope I didn't hurt the other one, moaned Shufty from above. He's swearing, said Polly, removing the sword. That sounds like he's okay. She handed up the candles and then was hauled onto the trembling roof of the elevator. When she had a firm footing in the mouth of the tunnel, she found a sliver of stone and stamped it hard into the space between the shaft wall and the wooden frame, which shook. It wasn't going anywhere for a while. Tonka and Lofty were already investigating the tunnel. By candlelight, it looked like good masonry beyond the clumsy attempt at walling it up. "'It must be cellars,' said Tonka. "'I reckon they must have made the shaft not long ago "'and just walled up where it cut through. "'Could have done a better job, too.' "'Cellars are close to dungeons,' said Polly. "'Now, pinch out one candle, "'because that way we'll have a light for twice as long, "'and then—' "'Perks, a word, please,' said Blouse. "'Over here.' "'Yes, sir.' "'When they were standing a little apart from the rest of the squad, "'Blouse lowered his voice and said, "'I don't wish to discourage initiative, Perks, "'but what are you doing?' "'Er, anticipating your orders, sir.' "'Anticipating them?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Ah, right. "'This is still small picture stuff, is it?' "'Exactly, sir.' "'Then my orders, Perks, are to proceed with speed and caution "'to release the prisoners.' "'Well done, sir. "'We'll go through this, this... "'Crypt,' said Igorina, looking around. "'The candle blew out.' Somewhere ahead of them, in darkness absolute and velvet thick, stone moved on stone. "'I wonder why this passage was sealed up,' said the voice of Blouse. "'I think I've stopped wondering why it was sealed up in such a hurry,' said Tonka. "'I wonder who tried to open it,' said Polly. There was a crash of, as it might be, a heavy slab falling off an ornate tomb. It could have been half a dozen other things, but somehow that was the image that sprang to mind. The dead air moved a little. "'I don't want to worry anyone,' said Shufty, "'but I can hear the sound of sort of feet, sort of dragging.' Polly remembered the man lighting the candles. He'd dropped the bundle of matches into the brass saucer of the candlestick, hadn't he? Moving her hand slowly, she groped for them. "'If you didn't want to worry anyone,' came the voice of Tonka from the dry, thick darkness, "'why the hell did you just tell us that?' Polly's fingers found a sliver of wood. She raised it to her nose and sniffed the sulphurous smell. "'I've got one match,' she said. "'I'm going to strike a light. Everyone try to see a way out. Ready?' She sidled to the invisible wall. Then she scratched the match down the stone, and yellow light filled the crypt. Someone whimpered. Polly stared, hypnotised. The match went out. "'Okay,' said the subdued voice of Tonka. "'Walking dead people, so?' "'The one near the archway was the late General Pullover,' said Blouse. "'I have his book on the art of defence. "'Best not to ask him to autograph it, sir,' said Polly, "'as the squad bunched together. "'There was the whimpering again. "'It seemed to come from where Polly remembered Wazza standing. "'She heard her praying. "'There were no words that she could make out, "'just a fierce and urgent whispering. "'Maybe these washing sticks can slow them down a bit,' "'Shufty quavered. "'More than being dead already,' said Igorina. "'No!' a voice whispered, and light filled the crypt. 
It was barely brighter than a glowworm, but a single photon can do a lot of work in chthonic darkness. It rose above the kneeling wazza until it was woman height, because it was a woman. Or at least it was the shadow of a woman. No, Polly saw, it was the light of a woman. A moving web of lines and highlights, in which there came and went, like pictures in a fire, a female shape. Soldiers of Borogravia, attention, said Wazza. And underneath her reedy little tone was a shadow voice, a whisper that filled and refilled the long rooms. Soldiers of Borogravia, attention! Soldiers! Soldiers! Attention! Soldiers of Borogravia! The lurching figures stopped. They hesitated. They shuffled backwards. With a certain amount of clattering and tongueless bickering, they formed two lines. Wazza stood up. Follow me, she said. Follow me, me. Sir, said Polly to Blouse. I think we go, don't you? said the lieutenant, who seemed oblivious of Wazza's activities now that he was in the presence of the military might of the centuries. Oh, God, there's Major Galosh, and Major General the Lord Canapé, General Anorak. I've read everything he wrote. I never thought I'd see him in the flesh. Partly flesh, sir, said Polly, dragging him forward. Every great commander of the last five hundred years was buried here, Perks. I'm very pleased for you, sir, if we could just move a little faster. It is my fondest hope that I'll spend the rest of eternity here, you know. Wonderful, sir, but not starting today. Can we catch up with the rest of them, sir? As they passed, hand after ragged hand was raised in jerky salute. Staring eyes gleamed in hollow faces. The strange light glistened on dusty braid and stained, faded cloth. And there was a noise, harsher than the whispering, deep and guttural. It sounded like the creaking of distant doors, but individual voices rose and fell as the squad passed the dead figures. Death to Slovenia! Get them! Remember! Give them hell! Vengeance! Remember! They're not human! Avenge us! Revenge! Up ahead, Wazza had reached some high wooden doors. They swung open at her touch. Polly hurried after her. The lights travelled with her, and the squad were on her heels. To be too far behind was to be in the dark. "'Couldn't I just ask Major General?' Blaz began, dragging on Polly's hand. "'No, you can't. Don't dawdle. Come on!' Polly commanded. They reached the doors, which Tonka and Igorina slammed behind them. Polly leaned against the wall. "'I think that was the most... most amazing moment of my life,' said Blouse as the boom died away. "'I think this is mine,' said Polly, fighting for breath. Light still glowed around Wazza, who turned to face the squad with an expression of beatific pleasure. "'You must speak to the High Command,' she said. "'You must speak to the High Command,' whispered the walls. "'Be kind to this child. Be kind to this child. This child!' Polly caught Wazza before she hit the ground. "'What's happening with her?' said Tonka. "'I think the Duchess really is speaking through her,' said Polly. Wazza was unconscious, only the white of her eyes showing. Polly laid the girl down gently. "'Oh, come on! The Duchess is just a painting! She's dead!' Sometimes you give in. For Polly, that time had been the length of time it took to walk through the crypt. If you don't believe, or want to believe, or if you don't simply hope that there's something worth believing in, why turn round?' 
And if you don't believe, who are you trusting to lead you out of the grip of dead men? Dead, she said. So what? What about the old soldiers back there who haven't faded away? What about the light? And you heard how Waz's voice sounded? Yeah, but, well, that sort of thing doesn't happen to people you know, said Tonka. It happens to, well, strange religious people. I mean, a few days ago she was learning how to fart loudly. She? whispered Blouse to Polly. She? Why is... Once again, a part of Polly's mind overtook the sudden panic. Sorry, Daphne, she said. Oh, yes, uh, of course. <laughs> Can't be too... Uh, yes, the lieutenant murmured. Igorina knelt down by the girl and put a hand on her forehead. She's on fire, she said. She used to pray all the time back at the grey house, said Lofty, kneeling down. "'Yeah, well, there was a lot to pray about if you weren't strong,' growled Tonka. "'And every bloody day we had to pray to the Duchess "'to thank Nuggan for slops you wouldn't give to a pig. "'And that damn picture everywhere, that fishy stare, I hate it. "'It could drive you mad. "'That's what happened it was, right? "'And now you want me to believe the old fat biddy is here "'and treating our friend there like some puppet or something? "'I don't believe it. "'And if it's true, it shouldn't be.' "'She's burning up, Magda,' said Lofty quietly. "'Do you know why we joined up?' said Tonka, red in the face. "'To get away. Anything was better than what we had. "'I've got Lofty, and Lofty's got me, "'and we're sticking with you because there's nothing else for us. "'Everyone says the Zobinians are terrible, right? "'But they've never done anything to us. "'They've never hurt us. "'If they want to come over here and hang a few bastards, "'I could give them a list. "'Everywhere there's something bad happening. "'Everywhere the small-minded bullies are inventing new cruelties, "'new ways of keeping us down. "'That bloody face is watching.' "'And you say it's here?' "'We're here,' said Polly. "'And you are here. "'And we're going to do what we came to do and get out, understand? "'You kissed the picture. You took the shilling. "'I damn well didn't kiss her face, and a shilling's the least they owe me.' "'Then go,' shouted Polly. "'Desert! We won't stop you, because I'm sick of your... your bullshit. "'But you make up your mind right now, right now, understand?' "'because when we meet the enemy, "'I don't want to think you're there to stab me in the back.' "'The words flew out before she could stop them, "'and there was no power in the world that could snatch them back. "'Tonka went pale, "'and a certain life drained out of her face "'like water from a funnel. "'What was that you said?' "'The words, you heard me, "'lined up to spring from Polly's tongue, but she hesitated. "'She told herself, "'It doesn't have to go this way.' You don't have to let a pair of socks do the talking. Words that were stupid, she said. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Tonka settled slightly. Well, all right then, she said grudgingly. Just so long as you know we're in this for the squad, OK? Not for the army and not for the bloody Duchess. That was a treasonable speech, Private Halter, said Lieutenant Blouse. Everyone but Polly had forgotten about him, and he stood there like an easy man to forget. "'However,' he went on, "'I realise we're all somewhat,' he looked down at his dress, uh, "'confused and uh, bewildered by the pace of events.' Tonka tried to avoid Polly's eye. "'Sorry, sir,' she muttered, glowering. "'I must make it clear that I will not stand to hear such things repeated,' said Blouse. "'Nor, sir.' "'Good,' said Polly quickly. "'So, let's—' "'But I will overlook it this time,' Blouse went on. "'Polly could see Tonka snap, the head raised slowly. "'You'll overlook it,' said Tonka. "'You!' 
We'll overlook it. Careful, said Polly, just loud enough for Tonka to hear. Let me tell you something about us, Lieutenant, said Tonka, grinning horribly. We are here, Private, whoever we are, snapped Polly. Now let's find the cells. Um, said Igorina, we're quite close, I think. I can see a sign. Um, it's at the end of this passage. Ah, uh, just behind those rather puzzled armed men with the, um, efficient-looking crossbows. Um, I think what you've just been saying was important and needed to be said, only, um, not just now, perhaps, and not so loudly. Only two guards were watching them now, raising their bows cautiously. The other was running away down the passage, shouting. The squad, as one man, or woman, shared the thoughts. They've got bows, we haven't. They've got a lot more swords. They've got reinforcements behind them. All we've got is a darkness full of the restless dead. We haven't even got a prayer any more. Nevertheless, Blouse made an effort. In the tones of Daphne, he shrilled, "'Oh, officers, we seem to have got lost on the way to the ladies' room.' They were not put into a dungeon, although they were marched past plenty. There were lots of bleak stone corridors, lots of heavy doors with bars and lots and lots of bolts, and lots of armed men whose job, presumably, only became interesting if all the bolts disappeared. They were put into a kitchen. It was huge, and clearly not the kind of place where people chopped herbs and stuffed mushrooms. In a gloomy, grimy, soot-encrusted hall like this, cooks had probably catered for hundreds of hungry men. Occasionally, the door was opened and shadowy figures stared in at them. No one had said anything at any time. "'They were expecting us,' muttered Shufty. The members of the squad were sitting on the floor with their backs to a huge, ancient chopping block, except for Igorina, who was tending to the still unconscious Wazza. "'They couldn't have got that elevator up by now,' said Polly. "'I wedged that stone in good and hard.' "'Then maybe the washerwomen gave us away,' said Tonka. "'I didn't like the look of that Mrs Enid.' "'It doesn't matter now, does it?' said Polly. "'Is that the only door?' "'It's a storeroom at the other end,' said Tonka. "'No exit except a grill in the floor.' Could we get out that way? Only diced. They stared glumly at the distant door. It had opened again, and there was some muffled conversation among the silhouettes beyond. Tonka had tried advancing on the open doorway and found men with swords suddenly occupying it. Polly turned to look at Blouse, who was slumped against the wall, staring blankly upwards. I'd better go and tell him, she said. Tonka shrugged. Blouse opened his eyes and smiled wanly when Polly approached. Ah, Perks, he said. Well, we almost made it, eh? Sorry we let you down, sir, said Polly. Permission to sit, sir? Treat the rather chilly flagstones as if they were your own, said Blouse. And it was I who let you down, I'm afraid. Oh, no, sir, Polly protested. You were my first command, said Blouse. Well, apart from Corporal Dreb, and he was seventy and only had one arm, poor chap. He pinched the bridge of his nose. All I had to do was to get you to the valley, that was all. But no, I foolishly dreamed of a world where everyone would one day wear a blouse. Or eat one, possibly. I should have listened to Sergeant Jackram. Oh, will I ever look my dear Emmeline in the face again? I don't know, sir, said Polly. That was meant to be more of a rhetorical cry of despair rather than an actual question, Perks, said Blouse. Sorry, sir, said Polly. She took a deep breath, ready for the plunge into the icy depths of the truth. Sir... You ought to know that 
And I'm afraid, once they realise we aren't women, we'll be put in the big dungeons, he said. Very big and very dirty, I'm told, and very crowded. Sir, we are women, sir, said Polly. Yes, well done, Perks, but we don't have to pretend any more. You don't understand, sir. We really are women, all of us. Blouse grinned nervously. I think you've got a little confused, Perks. I seem to recall that the same thing happened to Rigglesworth. Sir? Although I have to say he was very good at choosing curtains. No, sir. I was a... I am a girl, and I cut my hair and pretended I was a boy and took the Duchess's shilling, sir. Take my word for it, sir, because I really don't want to have to draw you a picture. We played a trick on you, sir. Well, not a trick, really, but we, all of us, had reasons for being somewhere else, sir, or at least not being where we were. We lied. Blouse stared at her. You're sure? Yes, sir. I am of the female persuasion. I check every day, sir, Polly added. And... Private Halter? Yes, sir. And Lofty? Oh, yes, sir. Both of them. Don't go there, sir. What about Shafty? Expecting a baby, sir. Suddenly, Blouse looked terrified. No, no. Here? Not for several months, sir, I believe. And poor little Private Goom? A girl, sir. And Igor is really an Igorina, and wherever she is, Carborundum is really Jade. We're not sure about Corporal Maledict, but the rest of us definitely have pink blankets, sir. But you didn't act like women. No, sir. We acted like men, sir. Sorry, sir. We just wanted to find our men, or get away, or prove a point, or something. Sorry it had to happen to you, sir. You're sure about all this, are you? What are you expecting me to say, Polly thought. Whoops, now I come to think of it, yes, we're really men after all. She settled for saying, yes, sir. So, you're not called Oliver, then? It seemed to Polly that the lieutenant was having a lot of difficulty with all this. He kept asking the same basic question in different ways, in the hope of getting something other than the answers he didn't want to hear. No, sir, I'm Polly, sir. Oh, do you know there was a song about... Yes, sir, said Polly firmly. Believe me, I'd rather you didn't even hum it. Blouse stared at the far wall, eyes slightly unfocused. Oh dear, Polly thought. You took a terrible risk, he said distantly. A battlefield is no place for women. This war isn't staying on battlefields. At a time like this, a pair of pants is a girl's best friend, sir. Blouse fell silent again. Suddenly, Polly felt very sorry for him. He was a bit of a fool in that special way very clever people have of being foolish, but he wasn't a bad man. He'd been decent to the squad and he'd cared about them. He didn't deserve this. Sorry you have to be involved, sir, she said. Blouse looked up. Sorry, he said, and to her amazement he was looking more cheerful than he had all day. Good heavens, you don't have to be sorry. Do you know anything about history, Polly? Can we stick with perks, sir? I'm still a soldier. No, I don't know much history, sir, at least much that I trust. Then you've never heard of the Amazon warriors of Samothrip, the most fearsome fighting force for hundreds of years, all women, absolutely merciless in battle. They were deadly with a longbow, although in order to get maximum draw, they had to cut off one of their, um, uh, I say, you ladies haven't been cutting off your, uh, um, uh, no, we haven't cut off any um umers, sir, only hair. Blouse looked incredibly relieved. Well, and then there's the female bodyguards of King Samuel in Hawandaland, all seven feet tall, I understand, and deadly with a spear. 
Throughout Clatch, of course, there are many stories of female warriors, often fighting alongside their men. Fearsome and fearless, I believe. Men would desert rather than face females' perks. Couldn't deal with them. Once again, Polly felt the slight unbalanced feeling of having tried to jump a hurdle that turned out not to be there. She took refuge in... What do you think's going to happen now, sir? I haven't a clue, Perks. Um, what's wrong with young Goom? Some kind of religious mania? Could be, sir, said Polly guardedly. The Duchess talks to her. Oh, dear, said Blouse. She, uh... The door opened. A dozen soldiers filed in and spread out on either side. They wore a variety of uniforms, mostly Zlobinian, but Polly recognised several as Ankh Morporkik, or whatever they called it. They were all armed and held their weapons like men who expected to use them. When they had lined up and were glaring at the squad, a smaller group of men stepped in. Again, there was a variety of uniforms, but they were a lot more expensive. These were worn by officers, high-ranking ones to judge by the expressions of disdain. The tallest of them, made taller by his high-plumed cavalry helmet, stared along his nose at the women. He had pale blue eyes, and his face suggested that he really did not want to see anything at all in this room unless it had been thoroughly cleaned first. "'Who is the officer here?' he said. He sounded like a lawyer. Blouse stood up and saluted. "'Lieutenant Blouse, sir, 10th Infantry.' "'I see.' The man looked at his fellow officers. "'I believe we can dispense with the guard now, don't you? This matter should be handled quietly. And for heaven's sake, can't we find this man a pair of pants?' There were a few murmurs. The man nodded to the sergeant of the guard. The armed men filed out, and the door shut behind them. "'My name is Lord Rust,' said the man. "'I head the Ankh Morpork Detachment here. At least,' and he sniffed, "'the military detachment. You have been treated well. You have not been manhandled. I see there is a young lady on the floor.' "'She's in a swoon, sir,' said Polly. The blue eyes lighted on her. "'You would be,' he said. "'Corporal Perks, sir,' said Polly. There were some barely suppressed smiles from the officers. "'Ah, I believe you are the one seeking her brother,' said Lord Rust. "'How do you know that?' said Polly. "'We are an efficient army,' said Rust, and treated himself to a little smile of his own. "'Your brother's name is Paul?' "'Yes. We shall locate him eventually. And I understand another lady was seeking her young man.' Shifty curtsied nervously. "'Me, sir?' Again, we shall locate him if you give us his name. Now, please listen to me carefully. You, Miss Perks, and the rest of you, will be taken from here tonight, entirely unharmed, and escorted back into your country as far as our patrols can take you, which, I suspect, will be quite a long way. Is that understood? You will have what you came for, won't that be nice? And you will not return here. The troll and the vampire have been captured. The same offer applies to them." Polly was watching the officers. They looked nervous, except for one at the back. She'd thought all the guards had gone, and while this man was dressed like a guard, dressed, that is, like a badly dressed guard, he wasn't acting like one. He was leaning against the wall by the door, smoking half a cigar and grinning. He looked like a man enjoying a show. Very generously, Rust went on. This offer applies to you too, Lieutenant uh, Blouse, wasn't it? But in your case, you would be on parole in a house in Slovenia. Very pleasant, I understand. Healthy walks in the countryside and all that sort of thing. This offer has not been extended to your superior officers here, I may add. So why make it to us, Polly thought. Are you frightened? 
of a bunch of girls. And that makes no sense. Behind the officers, the man with the cigar winked at Polly. His uniform was very old-fashioned, an ancient helmet, a breastplate, some slightly rusted chainmail and big boots. He wore it like a workman wears his overalls. Unlike the braid and brilliance in front of her, the only statement his clothes made was that he didn't intend to get hurt. It had no insignia that Polly could see, apart from a small shield hooked onto the breastplate. "'If you'll excuse me a moment,' said Blouse, "'I will consult with my men.' "'Men?' said Rust. "'They're a bunch of women, man.' "'But at this moment, sir,' said Blouse, coolly, "'I would not exchange them for any six men you could offer me. "'If you gentlemen would care to wait outside.' "'Behind the group, the badly-dressed man burst into silent laughter. "'His sense of humour was not shared by the rest of the group, however. "'You cannot possibly consider refusing this offer,' said Lord Rust. "'Nevertheless, sir,' said Blouse, "'we will take a few minutes. "'I think the ladies would prefer some privacy. "'One of them is expecting a child.' "'What, here?' As one man, the group drew back. Not yet, I believe, but if you would just step outside. End of CD 8